Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Good to be back in Crawley. And uh, prayer can be a blessing to you in the Word. Uh, I've uh, brought a few books with me. I notice you have a bookstall anyway, but uh, I'd just like to introduce a few. Uh, one called Life Tastes Better, uh, which is really a, uh, like a gospel book and uh, one that you can pass on to others. Uh, often when you're speaking to someone, maybe witnessing, you can sometimes kind of run out. You don't quite know what to say. And uh, it's so good to have something you can really put in somebody's hand. And uh, I think it'll be a blessing to you, but also... Uh, recently, Wendy and I bumped into a lady who was having a pub lunch, and we just started talking to her about Jesus, and she was very open, and we said, well, you'd like to have this, and she was very happy to take it. So it's uh, recently Britain, and uh, uh, it's only uh, 1.50 here, okay? So it's cheaper than a birthday card. Uh, so <laughs> take advantage of that. And while we're talking foolish prices... Uh, no well-worn paths, you'll notice on Amazon, is 15 or 19 pounds at the moment. People are really curious about the history of New Frontiers. I had a guy come to see me recently doing a PhD. How did all this start? Nearly 2,000 churches now. Where did it get started? So uh, this is 4.99 here, right? £4.99, special price for Crawley. Uh, and then Wendy, my wife, is not with me, but she um, has written, and this is a, a book she's written, which the publishers asked her to write, uh, which is like a, a bedside book or a coffee table book. And uh, it's written with a view to uh, people who don't necessarily see themselves as readers, but just would like a couple of pages, two or three pages, that bring questions uh, to uh, the reality of Jesus being involved with us in our lives. And she's a real skilled writer, I believe. So some of her chapter titles are... Uh, a, a daughter's decision in praise of older women, through the curtain, waiting, wedding anniversaries, notes on worship, babies, daffodils and other smells, rugby for grandmas. It's a, it's a fun book and I think you'll really enjoy it. So that's on the bookstore along with some other titles, okay? So please take advantage of them being there. We're going to look at Exodus and chapter 5 this morning, okay? Exodus and chapter 5. Just let me remind you of the story that, that Moses has had an extraordinary birth. He was born at a terrible time. Okay, this might be a bit of a longer introduction before I read it. He was born at a time uh, when the nation was in slavery. Uh, so he's born into a slave family. Uh, very little hope, very little future, it would seem. And actually, even worse, because recently the Pharaoh has said all male babies should be slaughtered. And so he's born at such a time where the, everything looks black, it couldn't look blacker. And yet it says this, he was born into the home of believing parents. Uh, and sometimes people are a bit kind of fed up with the fact that they're, they're born into a believing home. You know, they want one of these great testimonies that I was into this and that and terrible thing. I was a criminal and then I became. And you say, oh, but I was saved at five. And, you know, I turned from my life of sin when I was five. And uh, it doesn't sound quite so dramatic. But here is a massive, massive privilege. In Hebrews 11, uh, Moses' parents are recorded in that great chapter of Heroes, and it's a massive privilege to be born into a believing home. 
I didn't say a religious home, I said a believing home where parents believe uh, and they believe so much that they're able to uh, fire the heart of their child. Because it says about Moses that he was raised by his parents, even at Pharaoh's expense. You remember the story? As a little baby, he's put into this wicker basket kind of thing, floated out onto the river, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him, brings him in, and uh, Pharaoh's uh, daughter says, okay, let's pay for someone to raise this child. And it turns out, of course, to be Pharaoh's mum. So that's a great deal. And so he is raised uh, from his, in his early years by his believing parents. And what do they believe? Well, they believe this. We are God's people. God pro- spoke to our forefather, Abraham, and said to him, that through us, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We carry in our family the history of the world. We carry the light. We're the light of the world. We're God's answer to world history. Uh, that's what God said to Abraham, that God was starting again with Abraham. He said, can you count the stars? So many will your children be. Can you count the sand? Massive, massive statement. And Abraham believed God. And God started his great program that would ultimately bring the Christ, who is the answer to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people. God's plan was being carried by these people. And they believed it. They were excited about it, so much so that they communicated that to their son, Moses, that we are God's people. Now, if you look at them, actually, you look like a gang of slaves. You don't look very impressive. And not only that, you know, children are being slaughtered. How can, how can this be? But they, they communicated that much faith to him. And then they sent him away to Egypt University, where he got a completely different philosophy taught to him. He got a different worldview as Pharaoh and Egypt's uh, training program uh, said to him, look, listen, we're the greatest things ever happened. Egyptology is still studied today. They were a phenomenal community. They had breakthroughs in science, in architecture, in medicine. They were phenomenal. And it's like, hey, Moses, we're the real thing. Come on, we've heard all that nonsense, but we're the great thing. This is what we've produced. Here it is. We've got the greatest army on the planet. Uh, This is it. And so Moses, as a young man, had two worlds presented to him. This unseen world, we walk by faith, not sight, we were just hearing. This, this, hey, we're God's answer to world history. And then this fact, hey, <laughs> come on, Moses, come into this, what I'm teaching you at this university of life. Come on, look at this technical breakthrough. Look at, hey, it's tangible. It's this, we are it. We're the thing. We're Egypt. And, and, and Moses lives in this this battle of two philosophies, which is going to take him over. And it says this, when he became mature, not while he was a boy, he, 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 he'd grown somewhat. In fact, Josephus, who's a Hebrew historian, said that Moses led Egypt's armies in a battle against the Ethiopians and defeated them at Memphis. He was a prince in Pharaoh's household, a powerful guy. And it says, by faith, by faith, he chose rather to be numbered with the despised Israelites than to take all the riches of Egypt. So he made a choice by faith. By faith, he said, I'm going to go this way, which is hugely costly. 
And, and it seemed kind of crazy because look, the people of Israel, they're just slaves. And he saw it. No, no, no. This is God's people. And so the word of God captivated his heart. The vision that God had given to Abraham was enough for him to hold him. And he made that decision. I made it in his heart. But it doesn't always go straight forward, does it? He made that decision in his heart. The Bible tells us that in the New Testament. By faith he did it. Not because his parents controlled him. Not because he had to do it. He had no choice. He made his own choice as a young man by faith. I'm going the way of faith. The way he went wasn't so clever. He's in the palace. He looks out one day. He's, made, he's already made a decision. He sees the Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew. And it says he went out from the palace and killed the Egyptian and hid him and went back into the palace. I mean, not exactly clever, really. Uh, but he was a man mighty in word and deeds. A prince He's used to sorting things out. So he killed him. And then he went back into the palace and the next day he sees two Hebrews arguing with one another. So he goes out from the palace and bangs their heads together. He says, come on, you're brothers. What are you doing? And they say to him, who made you a ruler over us? You're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? He said, wow, they knew. It's known that I killed the Egyptian. He thought that was hidden. It's known. And he runs for it. He runs for it. And for 40 years... He's wandering around in the desert looking after a few sheep. He gets married. It's like, it's all over, forget it. And then one day, he's looking after the sheep, and the bush burns with flame. But it doesn't go out. I guess sometimes they did burst into the flames in that colossal desert heat. But this one keeps on glowing and glowing and glowing. It's burning, it's glory. And he goes to investigate this extraordinary sight. And out of it comes a voice. And God speaks to him and says, Moses, my oh, God, what is this? Who are you? I am that I am. That's this incredible revelation of God, unprecedented. This is God taking things on the next chapter. He's never made himself known in this way before. This majestic God of history is speaking to this man. And at first he says, no, 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 send somebody else. I can't speak. And he's terrified. And in Exodus 4, which we're not looking at, he kind of persuades him back into his purposes. And then you come to chapter 5. Okay, I just want to give you that background. All right, so now he's got signs and wonders. He can take a stick and throw it on the ground. It becomes a snake. He can pick up the snake. It becomes a stick again. His hand, he can make go into his coat and come out leprous. Puts it back into okay again. He's incredible. He's got the, wow, here comes God's man of action. He is apprehended by Almighty God, commissioned by Almighty God. He's now going to do what God told him to do. Okay, that's the, that's the backup. You just need to know that, really. Otherwise, chapter 5 doesn't make much sense. Okay, so that's the background. Now we're going to read chapter 5, or at least uh, some of it, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes from there. Okay, so chapter 5 of Exodus, verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, so that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. 
please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise he'll fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to Moses, said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. We'll pick it up again at verse 15. Then the foreman of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh saying, why do you deal with us this way? There is no straw given to your servants. Yet they keep saying to us, make bricks. Behold, your servants are being beaten. But it's not, it's the fault of your own people. But he said, you are lazy, very lazy. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now and work. For you will be given no straw, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. The foreman of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble because they were told you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. They said to them, may the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you've made us odious in Pharaoh's sight, in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you brought harm on this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you've not delivered your people at all. Father, thank you for your presence with us as we sing these songs of dependence upon you. We run to you, we look to you. We want to know you in our lives. We thank you we're part of that great company that are the light of the world. And Holy Spirit, we ask you please to come and speak. Come and make yourself known. Come and take us to yourself and may we hear the voice of God in our hearts, please, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, life's full of questions. Like, uh, where shall I live? What shall I do? Who shall I marry? When's the house going to sell? All sorts of questions that we ask. One of the hardest ones, I think, is why? Why? I don't understand why. That's one of the questions that comes up from the human heart very often. Why, why is this happening? I don't really get it. I really don't understand what's happening to me. And the chapter I've just read with you is one of the biggest whys in the Bible, really. One of the biggest ones, where Moses, having been commissioned by God, having been sent by God, God has appeared to him. I mean, it's a phenomenal. God's preserved him as a little baby, miraculously preserved. And then this extraordinary way that he's even raised in Pharaoh's household. He's brought him to faith. I will trust God. I'll put God first. And that all went pear shape, and now God has apprehended him, and now God's commissioned. Now, he's not running ahead of God as he did before, which we can all do. That's always a danger. You can run ahead of God, but now he's not running ahead of God. You can't say, oh, well, it's your fault because you got it wrong. No, no, actually, he's doing exactly what God told him to do. He's, God has actually overcome his reluctance to go because he said, I don't want to go. God said, no, I am sending you. I'm commissioning you. I've heard the cry of my people. I've come down to deliver them. I send you. Well, this is a new deal, isn't it? Absolutely different. Now, God is with me. 
God has sent me. I'm here in the name of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, let my people go. You think, well, boy, I'm in authority now. These guys are going to tremble. These guys are going to shake. We're through. Here we go. Here we go now. What does Pharaoh say? Who is the Lord? Effectively, push off. Oh, thus says the Lord. Push off. I don't know the Lord. Huh? I mean, it's absolutely terrible. I think, what, what, what on earth is happening? And, and not only that, Pharaoh says, you're just lazy, you lot. You just want to stop working. I tell you what, we're not going to supply the straw anymore towards making these bricks, but I still want just as many bricks. And so they, they summon the, the, the team leaders. You've got to produce more bricks. And they, they come out from Pharaoh's presence, these guys say, wow, he's made life almost impossible for us. And as they come out, there's Moses standing there. And Aaron said, thank you very much, Moses. That was really helpful, you idiot. And so Moses goes back to God and says, oh, Lord, why did you ever send me? Why did you ever send me? What if you ever had an experience like that? You think, God, what on earth is going on around here? I thought you sent me. I thought you commissioned me. I, and many of us can come to church on Sunday mornings and we can have this kind of, wow, what's going on? I didn't think that would happen. So Moses here has rejected. He's apparently impotent. He can't do anything. And his, even his brothers are saying, you're the cause of the trouble. The, you're the one who's made things worse. You're trying to hear, you came here to make things better. You've made them worse, you idiot. And so Moses is in terrible state. And you think, God, what on earth is going on here? And the big question, why? I think it's one of the hardest questions. It's echoed from the cross. My God, my God, Why? Why? It's so hard to understand. When is hard? Where? Yeah, 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 all those things. But why? Why? Now, this story of Moses is not unique in the Bible. You think of the Lord Jesus. We're told centuries before that a, a deliverer is coming, a mighty king, one of David's sons, will sit on the throne. The Messiah, the promised Messiah, is coming. And when he, when he comes on the scene, you know, angels fill the sky. There's songs about you'll call his name Jesus. And wow, he's going to save his people. Man alive, here we go. And all that we've waited for for centuries. And John the Baptist says, here he comes. This is the one. He's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I mean, wow, this is amazing. It's like the day has broken. And he stands in the waters of baptism. The heavens open. The glory of God falls upon him. He says he was filled without measure. And the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son, I'm delighted with him. And in the strength of that, overwhelmed, almost like drunk with his fullness of the spirit, his wonder of the love of God, he goes into the wilderness, he's tempted, he comes through, wins every battle. Here we, are, here we go, here we go. This is the son of God with power. He goes into the synagogue, begins to preach, takes the scripture today, he says this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's quoting from Isaiah. They gave him the scroll. He opens it for the daily reading. And the daily reading happens to be this phenomenal thing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's about the promised Messiah. He's anointed me to bring deliverance to the captives. The recovery of sight. This is, and he says, then he says this, today this scripture is fulfilled. 
man alive, we've been waiting for this for centuries. But how does the story finish? Well, it finishes like this. Filled with rage, they tried to push him over a cliff. Huh? Huh? I've been waiting for this. Jesus waited 30 years before he began his ministry. When he was 12, he was amazing the teachers with his questions. When he was 12, he, boy, where does this boy get all this wisdom from? He waited till he was 30. And then he began his ministry. And then what? Push him over a cliff. Not what we expected. Not what we expected. Then you find the apostles. These Jesus followers are invited personally, by name, into his presence. It says he chose to have to be with him, to have authority, to go out in his name. Boy, this is a massive privilege. They go through three years of training. I mean, hand-picked people. They could say, the life was manifested to us. We beheld his glory. We touched and handled the word of life. They were face-to-face -face contact with the living God for three years. I mean, just breathtaking, breathtaking. And then there comes their experience on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit falls upon them. I mean, they are filled with power and authority. They're saying, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up. We're witnesses. Here we go. The world's going to hear about Jesus. What happens in the next chapter? You don't speak anymore in this name. James's head, <laughs> off. Peter, you're in prison. You stop this now. So, what? What? What's all that? Three years of training? Holy Spirit, what's going on here? What on earth's going on here? I mean, you wouldn't expect that. Then you get Paul on his apostolic journey later on. He comes up to a place, he says, well, should we go this way? The Spirit says, no, no, no. Should we go that way? No, no, no. The Holy Spirit says, no. Where do we go then? This, this dream. Come over to Macedonia. Oh, we've got revelation. It's, God wants us into Europe. It's one of the big steps. Go to Europe. World history was affected by that dream that night. Come into Europe. Christianity came into Europe. Come across to Macedonia. Here we go. Oh, this is, we're getting revelation now. We thought it was that way. No. We thought it was that way. No. Come this way. Oh, that's it then. So what's going to happen? This is what's going to happen. Paul is in prison with his back bleeding, having been beaten and whipped and put in the inner dungeon. You think, what? What? You said go to Macedonia. I can imagine Paul and Silas saying, wasn't it you who had the dream or who, was, who had that dream? <laughs> Keep your dreams to yourself. It was like, no, no, we were led. We were led. What's this all about? What's this all about? I love it when Paul says he's, he's scared when he goes into Corinth. And God, Jesus appears to him and says, do not be afraid, Paul. I've got many people in this city. Oh, great. Oh, great, okay. He didn't say to him, oh, by the way, there'll be the toughest church in the New Testament. I've got many people. You didn't tell me it'd be these kind of people. The New Testament, the Bible, is full of kind of curious questions. Not the way we thought things would turn out. And I think there's a theme in our meeting this morning, as Steve earlier brought this theme about are you walking by sight or by faith? And some of the songs we've been singing have been echoing this kind of thing. God wants some people who will trust him, but we want to face up to the reality that there are seasons which you think, this is hard, and it's almost incomprehensible. I mean, why is this happening? Moses 
is at his wit's end. He's already run ahead of God. Now you can see why that went wrong. Because God hadn't sent him. But this time God sent him. So what's going on here? We face things like that. We can find God speaks to us sometime about witnessing. We feel I haven't witnessed as much as I should. Maybe we've been hiding our testimony in the workplace. And sometimes you're in a meeting, maybe you get stirred. You think, I want to be a witness. I want to do better than I am. And you see a guy at the coffee break. It's in the office, maybe, or wherever you're working. You, get a, you come alongside someone. You start to witness to them. You think, well, I know God told me to do this, so this is going to be pretty exciting. And you speak. And he goes, you are? You believe that, silly nonsense? You believe that? Okay. He said, no, 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 I'm, trying, I'm telling you about it. Yeah, you silly idiot. No one believes that these days. And he said, oh, well, I never expected that to happen. Uh, and then you, you just kind of withdraw. And next time you go to the coffee break or to go and say, you see them all heading up. They're talking to one another. Here he comes, that stupid religious guy. Oh, what's happened here? I'm kind of cut off. I, I, I obeyed God, and it's worse now than it was before. I obeyed God and this has all gone wrong. I don't understand. Or maybe you've had a, a breakdown with somebody and, and you feel God speaks to you. So like, come on, try and mend that relationship. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Oh yeah, I must do that. I've let it drift. I, I must go and speak to her. I must go and speak to him. Right, we'll try it. I'll do it. God's telling me to do it. We go and find that person. I just need to share with you. I, just, I want to talk to you. And instead of it improving things, it gets worse. And they turn it on you. And you think, God, I never, God, you told me to do this. What's going on? This is terrible. This is terrible. I, I never thought that would happen. I'm trying to obey you and it's all gone wrong. See, these things can happen. These have got modern contexts where these can happen. Things that you had hoped for and you felt you were doing what God told you. You didn't think, oh, but I'm going off on my own. If you go off on your own, you can expect problems. But when you're trying to do the will of God, like Moses was, just obeying God. Why has it turned out like this? What's gone wrong? Well, he's got to deal with this, all right? He's got to deal with this. We've just got to see our way through it. You've got to find a way through. And what we do find is this, that Moses goes back to God, all right? So let's just look at this from several angles. You've got to get back to God, first of all, to get your emotions healed. Because what happens is you get, you, your, your relationship with God is floundering now. Because, well, I thought you told me. And it's very hard for any of us here to say, you lied to me. I mean, no one's going to say that to God unless they're very stupid or very brave. No one's going to say, you lied to me. But in your heart, you can think that. And you've got to get through that, dear friends. If you, any of you are striving with, why did that happen? Why did that happen? I know for myself, one of my dear friends and his wife had a little baby and she was terribly ill from birth. And they called her a blue baby. Her head was misshapen and it, she was obviously sickly. Uh, and uh, I, I remember, I mean, she only lived a few weeks. But I remember one day she was, uh, I was in his home with her and uh, I was praying with my friend and, and his wife came in and said, look at Christina, She's, she looks so ill this morning. And, and so we said, well, pray for her. And we prayed for her. And honestly, she kind of looked blue and we prayed for her. And when I opened my eyes, she was pink. I thought, wow, God's done it. God's done it. 
And I went home and told my unconverted parents, who were very kind of hostile to my Christian. I said, Christina's been healed. We prayed for her. We laid hands on her. We prayed for her. Jesus has healed her. About three days, three or four days later, she died. I thought, wow, I am never going there again. See, you can, you can feel, God, you, where were you? What was that all about? When we get into situations like that, where, where's God? I mean, I thought, God. And you've got to deal with that, beloved. You've got to deal with it in your heart. You've got to get your emotions healed because it's an emotional thing. It's emotional. I think, where's God? And the danger is that you kind of, you don't get that solved. And so you can muddle through. And you can also get very bad teaching. It's not really even teaching, but you hear it in the Christian world. Let go and let God. It's foolishness. It's not in the Bible. It's a very unhelpful statement doesn't say that in the Bible. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God's at work in you. It says this, take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's kind of militant language. Take it captive. You don't get passive. That's not a time to get passive. That when you hit emotional setbacks or setbacks that hit you emotionally, it's not time to say, oh, well, who knows? Or, and then try and make it sound spiritual. I'm letting go, letting God. I'm, I'm handing it over to the Lord. It's another phrase we come up with. Where's that hand it over to the Lord? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. We have to come to him and talk to him about it. We have to listen to him. We have to bring our, our feelings. I mean, the Psalms are full of this, beloved. The psalmists often say, how long, O Lord? They're bringing things to God. They're saying to God, I know you're faithful. I know I can trust you, but this is tough. How does this work? And we don't get passive. We don't say, well, I don't know. And we don't hand it over. We don't let go and let God. We, we think it through. We come to God. We talk to him about it. That's what Moses did. He came back to God because God can heal our hearts. God can put it right. He is the Lord. And so many of the Psalms, they can start sometimes with this kind of, oh God, and then they finish up, I will praise you. So good to get to know the Psalms and see how these men and women of God over the years learn to trust him. And so we need to learn that sometimes you got, it says, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Otherwise, he is a liar from the beginning. That's what Jesus said. He's a liar from the beginning, and he will tell you lies about God. That's what he did at the very beginning. He told Adam and Eve lies about God. Just straight lies. And you have to say, no, I mustn't go there. See, if you do, beloved, if you get used to, well, who can know? You know, Christianity is too complicated, and uh, I'll I'll keep going to church, or maybe I won't bother, because it's too complicated, and that's no answer. And just to put up with it is no answer. Because next time something happens, you, get, you feel yourself more and more distanced from the Lord. So we have to come to him, and we have to get our emotions healed. We have to also abandon our demand for justice. There's something in us that says, this isn't right. It's like, you better reply to me. I, I want justice around here. I've just been, I read through the Bible in the year, and I just read through Job very recently. Poor old Job. What a battle he's fighting. One thing he doesn't know is this. There's another battle that he's not even aware of. 
He's not aware of it. He's just, life's, life is incomprehensible to him. He feels, I'm doing everything God's way, and this happens. This happens. He doesn't know there's another battle. What's that battle? It's the way the book starts. When Satan starts talking to God about Job, he says, have you considered my servant Job? He says, he's righteous. And Satan says, let me touch him. Then he won't be. Let me make things go wrong for him. And God says, okay, you have my permission. But Job doesn't even know that's happening. Job doesn't even know that he's on the stage and all heaven's watching. All he knows is, this is dreadful. This is awful. What's happening to me? He doesn't realize that God is boasting about him. God's saying, have you considered him? What a wonderful servant of mine he is. He doesn't know. Another battle is raging, beloved. All he knows is, this is hard. And God's looking for him to trust him, to trust him, to trust him. I will walk by faith, not by sight. Can you believe that you're in God's hand? See, I don't understand it. Yeah, I know, but I want to come back to that in a moment. We don't necessarily have to understand. We'll come back to that later. The second thing I want us to see is this. Moses has actually failed to read the small print. What do I mean? Well, actually, God said to him this. I'll go and confront Pharaoh... Exodus 3.19, the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. It's like, go, confront him, tell him, but God told him two or three chapters earlier, he will not let you go without compulsion. In other words, all these plagues and signs and wonders have got to happen yet. And God's got them all ready. He's all lining up with these things he's going to do. These incredible plagues and manifestations of his power. Because the release of Egypt, or the Israel out of Egypt, is one of the greatest displays of God's power in the whole Bible. And God's got that all lined up. He's got these big guns waiting. He said, he won't let you go until this happens. So go and confront him, but he won't let you go. Moses didn't read the small print. He didn't read that. He said, let my people go. No. Oh, no, let him go. God's, God, the God of the Hebrews has appeared to us. No. Oh. He hadn't read the small print. God said, they won't. He, he won't let you go. Actually, he's absolutely on course. It's like the disciples. It says the disciples were, you know, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. Heaven's opened. They get a revelation. They come down from the mountain, and the disciples there and the people are mocking them, saying, hey, you couldn't cast this demon out of this boy. And they come to Jesus and say, we took him to your disciples. They couldn't do it. Why couldn't we? Oh, this kind comes out only through prayer and fasting. Ah. Oh. They hadn't read the small print. Why is this happening? And then it says, you know, Jesus said this, if you go to one town and they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. What do you mean they won't receive us? I mean, we're going in the name of Jesus. If they don't receive you, shake the dust off. Sometimes we've never read that. We've never read that. It's like sometimes, and I don't mean to be uh, careless, but sometimes missionary things, they go on and on and on and on, and there's refusal. And it's like, well, we'll never give up, Lord. In Ecclesiastes 3, it says this, there's a time to do this, there's a time to do that. And they're exact opposites often. 
And he says, there's a time to seek and there's a time to give up as lost. And I think sometimes we say, I'll never give up, Lord. I'll never give up. There's a time to give up as lost. I'll never give up. There's a time to give up. Shake the dust. That's not been part of our message. These people don't want to know I'm walking away. Jesus said it. We don't read the small print. We oversimplify and then think, where did you go, Lord? Where were you? Why did you let me down? Uh, just read the small print. Just read the whole package. Read what I, This machine doesn't work. You get it home for Christmas. You, know, you give this present to your kid. It doesn't work. It says on here, you have to get batteries. <laughs> we didn't, wow, I didn't bother with that. Sometimes it goes wrong because we actually, or we think it's gone wrong, but we didn't actually read, we, we didn't read the facts. That can happen to us. We need to get things clear. We need to get before God. So sometimes we try and mend a relationship. We try to go back to someone and say, I'm sorry, can we be friends again? And it goes bad on you. And they come even harsher back. And you think, wow, what was the point of doing that? Then you remember what it says here. As far as it is with you, live in peace with everyone. It doesn't promise you every time you do that, you win the person. It says as far as it's possible with you. You don't say, oh, what's the point? I won't speak to her. No point in speaking to her. As far as with you, live in peace. So you can honestly say before God, I've done all I can. But it went wrong. No, no, God said, as far as you're concerned. As far as you're concerned. You may not win the day. But when we obey God... We exp- Why do we obey? Because, well, that's successful. Is that why we obey? Or do we say, I'm not sure this is to be successful, so I don't obey? And I think that's where we begin to get to the very heart of the matter. Why do we obey? Why do we do what God says? Well, it'll work if you do what God says. Well, that, that seems to make sense. And very often that is the very key. But that's not necessarily why we obey. We obey not because, well, that works or that's successful, so I'll be successful. No, we obey because he said so. That's, that's what biblical obedience is about. And honestly, that's what gets us sometimes into the world where amazing things happen. And sometimes we don't get into the world of the amazing because, well, I don't think that would work. So why would I bother? I don't think that would work. It's like Jesus said to the guys, they caught no fish. Uh, Have you caught any fish? No, I haven't caught anything. Throw the net the other side. So they say, well, we've been fishing all night. Throw the net the other side. You know, they could have said, we fishermen, you carpenter, forget it. (laughs) But he says, nevertheless, at your word, at your word, and beloved, these, these Bible people, they start doing things just because Jesus said so. And that, to be honest, is the root of faith. It's doing it just because he said so, not because, oh yeah, I can see that would work. So when things don't work, we're devastated. And then we think, I'm not going to do it because it doesn't look like it will work. And if we're not careful, we drift away from walking by faith. Because the bottom line is, will it work or not? Because we'll obey if it, looks, if it makes sense, we'll obey. 
if you can guarantee me that this will be okay. You guarantee me. See, it's that Abraham, again, on the conversation with Sarah, imagine, he's God spoken to him, yeah, I want you to go to a place I'll show you. He says to Sarah, I've seen a, I've seen a city which has foundations. We're going to leave this great city. He's in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is a great city, and, and he's evidently a very rich man. He's got flocks, he's got servants, and she's, he's, he's saying to her, we're moving out. I've seen a city. I can, I can imagine her saying, wow, really? I mean, we're leaving all this. Yeah, we're leaving it. Come on, let's go. And, and then the first night, you're out there, and he's putting up a tent. You're banging in the tent pegs. Saying, what is this? I can imagine her saying, what am I living in this tent for? I thought you'd seen a city. Actually, it's because I've seen the city that we're living in the tent. It's because I've seen it. It's because I know we're getting there. I know we'll arrive. Therefore, we go through this process. Therefore, we endure this tent. Because I've seen it, and it's going to happen. And that's what it means to really walk by faith, that we, we live on the things we have not seen with our naked eye, but we believe. We trust him. We trust him, and we keep moving. And so Moses gets his heart healed. See, understanding is not the prerequisite for obedience. I don't have to understand. I just have to do. I have to take that risk, really. But we need to find that God can heal the pain. God can take away the pain. God could deal with us and deal with those deepest, why? Why? What's going on? I want this morning to invite you to do that. Say, Lord Jesus, I, I don't understand why this has all happened to me. I don't know why I've been taken through this. I thought I was obeying you. I never dreamed it would be like this. Lord, I just want to tell you, I still trust you. Will you do that this morning? Say, Lord, I do. I still trust you. I know I'm a frail person. I can get it wrong anyway. We live in a whole world that's groaning. And everything's out of kilter in this world. All sorts of things happen that you never have dreamed of. But there's a bigger plan. There's a bigger battle going on that we don't even know about. And it's going to bring glory to God. Things that God allows, God does, they're bigger than what we understand. And we're invited to be walking with him. Let me just close with this. Actually, the answer to that last verse, why did you ever send me? Ever since you sent me, it's, it's nothing, it's got worse and worse. And then chapter 6, because this is a whole story, I just took out one chapter. The chapter 6 starts with this. Then Moses, the Lord said to Moses, now you'll see what I'll do to Pharaoh. He will let them go under compulsion, which is what he told me would happen before. In verse 6, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you for my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Yeah. <gasps> Actually, Moses is dead on course. Moses is totally bewildered. God's saying, right, exactly on course. I've lost my way. I've lost your way at all. You're exactly where you should be at this. 
Can you think of that, beloved? You're exactly where you're meant to be at this moment. That was the truth. That's the truth. His heart is saying, I don't understand. God is saying, you're exactly in the right place. You're exactly where I said you'd be. There's no mystery involved. Next chapter, I'm going to do all these things like I said I would. There's nothing out of it. So from God's perspective, the plan is exactly on course. Exactly. We don't see that sometimes. We think, what's going wrong? Nothing's gone wrong. This is what I said would happen. Nothing has gone wrong. Can we let God be God? Say, Lord, like we say, I'm running into your arms. I'm into your vision. I'm into your purpose. I'm not demanding explanations. Job never got that explanation in the end. It's just, I'm God. That's all there is to it. I want you to trust me. I want you to believe me. I don't want you to drift away from me. I want you to run into my arms. Trust me. I'm in charge. I can be trusted. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you're not just there for us, but you're about a great work. Lord, that you... you you reign. The Lord reigns. All authority. All power. And Lord, Lord, we confess to you our vulnerability, our frailty, how easy we find it to uh, just kind of lose our thinking. Lord, we confess we sometimes don't read the small print. We get it into our own minds how we think you'll work. And Lord, we just, we just want to learn of you, Lord. Well, we just remember you said, in the world you will have tribulation. Lord, help us to, Lord, just walk with you with faith and joy. Help us to trust you. Help us to know that you are the master planner. And that, Lord, you, Lord you've, you've in, in your mercy included us. So, Lord, bless, I pray you will bless your word to your people this morning. And I pray for any who are, Lord, just really struggling and finding it tough. Lord, that you will renew us in your love. Even now, Lord, we, were, we would, as it were, run into your arms yeah. and say, Lord, we do trust you. We really do trust you. And Father, I pray for any who've allowed a gap to come. They're just going through the motions. They're turning up here this morning, but in their hearts, they've, something died inside. Well, I pray especially for them, that you would renew them, renew them. I'd just love to pray for you especially. If you would like, just, just raise your hand if you say, I, I can identify with this. Just stick your hand up. We're not going to get you forward or anything like that. Just pray for you. Just pray for you. Yeah. Yeah. Father, we just pray right now. I want to pray especially, Lord, for utter recovery of confidence in you. To know that you, you, you risked, as it were, you trusted that Moses would come through this, that he wouldn't walk away. It wouldn't be like, and then you never heard of Moses again. He walked away. No, we thank you he didn't. We thank you. He fulfilled his call. He did the job amazingly. Lord, you held him through. And Father, I pray for thee especially, that, Lord, they'll trust you afresh in their hearts. And I pray for us as a people, Lord, for everyone here, that we'll keep our trust in you fresh and childlike. 
confident in you, please, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.